Welcome to Ready Layer One, a crypto podcast that focuses on the near ecosystem. And in today's episode, we interviewed the team at Mintbase. I really like this conversation a lot because it, they talked so much about how they are not just a marketplace because they're not. It's really this platform to build on top of. And so to get in, down into the weeds with them of you know the capabilities of Mintbase, where they're trying to go with it, the experimental nature of everything they've been doing for the past few years and want to continue doing uh, was really exciting to hear. And uh, they were just a, a really great interview to uh, kind of get down to just the OGs of Near as well as like, you know, what's in the future. And with that said, uh, please enjoy this episode with uh, Carolyn and Nate of Mintbase. Someone who's crypto savvy or maybe not just came to Near and they see Mintbase. How would you describe that to them? Uh, it's a good intro to just go, oh, they have a market. Great. Oh, I can click some stuff. Great. Oh, I can deploy my own store. What does that mean? And then that's where the rabbit hole kind of begins. And then if you're a developer, you go, wow, I got to deploy a store with three clicks. Uh, I got to, I think the, the real like mine entry of what Mintbase is, is once you've deployed your store, then you go into the store settings and you see all of that giant list of all the things you can do. That's kind of the beginning. It's uh, okay, I can add other mentors to my store. So what does that mean? Is this a DAO? Is this my own DAP? What, I mean, uh, it's access control on your own uh, store. You can add royalties as the store owner. So when you add your mentors, you can get royalties from them. And then if you're a developer, all of a sudden you go, oh, wait, I can actually do all this stuff via code using these stupid, simple tools. And then I'm hoping that's where like the light starts going on of like, okay, let's get away from Mint-based UI. Let's start building our own UIs. And then the whole new civilization gets built, uh, right? So, all right, there's a lot. I like that. There's a lot to unpack there. So, yeah. But I agree with you. I'm, 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 I did the exact thing that you just ran through that. I was like, oh, marketplace. Oh, click. Wait, devs. Oh, a smart contract. Yeah, I, I the because as soon as you I, you started talking, I was going to ask the question of like, it feels like, you know, you want eventually have people to build on top of it, not necessarily be inside of the mint based URL, but use that simply as a foundation. Yeah. Like, do you see yourself as like a Shopify kind of setup? We see, so we're going to be doing the NearCon ticketing. And mm -hmm. so what we want to do is we want to display an NFT to buy a thing, right? But we don't want it just to get bought from our system. We want other people to build their own interfaces to buy it in several different ways. So uh, Gorilla Shops is known as the Shopify they've built on top of us. So maybe you buy it from Gorilla Shops. Maybe Mint Ticket is now building on top of us. Maybe you buy it from their fancier UI. Maybe 3XR is a fancy you know, VR gallery and you walk in there with your little hand gears and you buy a ticket in that room. Like the, mm. the world is, is like, we aren't the one to decide what the best UI is. We want everyone else to build their own stuff. So we aren't the uh, Shopify, but we're the, okay, there's the primitive of Shopify and, and we can go from there. So, you, so you're just the underlying pipes of everything. That's, that's the goal here. Imagine like people going, oh, I want to build the metaverse. And then they expect them to uh, do all of the metaverse transaction layer. Um, but the reality is, is I think there's going to be several meta metaverses. They're all going to say, how do I interact with blockchain? This is really hard. And then yeah. they're going to interface with Mintbase. So I think Mintbase is going to be the, the core of all these metaverses. And they're just going to be kind of that interface that, you know, it's a different window into using our mm. system. All right, because I, I so I saw an artist. I went to an artist on Mintbase, and they had a gallery that was kind of in a metaverse world. So, 
the metaverse world wasn't mint based, but the everything in there, the NFTs in there, the art in there that I could explore and maybe purchase if I wanted was mint based. But the metaverse was sort of just like they kind of went to a metaverse and plugged in mint based to it and got all those yep. benefits or all the. So that was actually built by uh, Microchip. He's a uh, Mintbase employee. Uh, 3XR is nothing to do with Mintbase. It's on his own off hours. He's built that on his own. Uh, but basically every store that you deploy, uh, you get your own virtual reality room automatically booted up. So uh, di- different different concept than crypto voxels where you know on a desktop it makes sense where you're pressing forward and you're interacting with people. But this is more of like, this is your room that you get to have uh, and then he's gotten really weird with all, all sorts of stuff. Uh, in, in you don't one. need to do anything. Like the hurdles are really low because usually people in crypto voxels are decentralized. They have to buy land. They have to um, invest money, buy the tokens and all those things. But with us, they immediately have their own gallery and it's just there after minting NFTs. This is okay. So Joe, this is why I wanted to talk to you guys. So right now I've been trying to find out where do you sit? Like, okay, so Joe and I are ready layer one. We're building out projects. We're trying to get validators. We're doing valid staking wars. We're, we're all over the place. And I'm like, okay, Mintbase is somewhere. I am aware of that. I know it's got to be somewhere. So the current meta right now, which I'm glad is sort of fading away, is that NFTs, you mint them, you buy them, you flip them on the secondary market. You try to get the price up. And it's like, I, that's just not what I think. You try to get the price up. And how are we getting the price up? Well, people are paying people to buy them and then shill them out. Who is paying them to buy it? You know, it's a a very easy, oh, wait, we can't do that. Let's go the variable route. We're like, well, let's do a liquidity mining where we we dish out tokens based on, you know, transactions back and forth. And then we've got all these, like, to me, like, it's been so hard getting to where we're at, uh, getting our Mm. transaction volume with what's at, uh, doing it, like, the most honest, like raw, yeah. we're doing innovation. We're trying to figure this out way. And uh, yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> well, and that's where I think the industry is going to go. Right. So you have this like sort of degen flipping game. That it's like, it's, I, I, we just ran through the end of it. We did the game theory together and it fails. <laughs> like it doesn't work. So now I think collectively the group's gonna be like, okay, what are NFTs? And I think they're much bigger. They, they, they can connect with DAOs. I mean, the, the, an NFT, as Joe has explained to me, it's like so it's like a smart contract, but that is so just the beginning. Yeah. You seem like you're the next evolution of what has happened. Like the, what's currently happening is so small and then base is so big. So how can we make that jump? Yeah, it's, it's our job to articulate that. So right now we've completely failed at that. We've uh, really been engineering heavy. I'm in a, a developer myself. My GitHub has been green for since like... You're still coding every still day. Coding, like, still coding. Sh- shouldn't should be not coding. Be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but our failure is, is, is the articulation point. And now we're shifting. We're going to build out our dev, dev relations team. We're going to beef up our documentation. We're going to like... Our whole world is now like we got our Series A sorted, 7.5 million. Now we need to shift the attention on... Look at what we built. <laughs> yeah, but it's also yeah. difficult because we are like um, experimenting a lot and we are always going into different directions. Um, for example, last year we went to a festival, we did like ticketing there and redeemable beer NFTs. And then we integrated like some yeah. uh, painting, collective painting at Neocon where we did like an auction. So we are like always trying to do different things. But what we really are excited about is utility NFTs. So anything that doesn't have to do 
I mean, art is amazing, but anything that goes a step further and where you can actually do something with this technology. For example, um, you know, I have a um, burrito NFT and I go to a, a restaurant and I redeem that NFT and I actually get the physical burrito. And we did that last year at Neocon. And it was but, great, but yeah. we had definitely struggled. I, like we were seeing from the minting to physical redeeming, like that whole spectrum is hard. You know, we can't be everywhere mm. as a small team. So we're, we're, uh, we're trying, to, trying to figure out what, what works, what doesn't work in, in processing. Absolutely. And I'm going to, I'm going to say something when you said you were like a failure at figure, I disagree with that fully, right? Like this is like, we're like in the frontier of a space that's like developing around us. That's like saying like with just like two wheels of a plane, you didn't describe what a plane does yet. You know what I mean? And as you're building this plane, eventually you'll have a plane and then it's like describable. So I say, I think what's really interesting that I've seen so far been being in the space with you guys is that it almost feels like you had the proof of concept before of like, we're going to do NFTs and we're going to have this kind of marketplace feel to a thing. Okay. We've proved the concept and now we're going to the next, the next level. I was kind of playing around going through some of the different developer pieces the other night. And like, it's really interesting to me because, you know, I am not very well skilled in web three and smart contracts yet, but you know, because I'm mostly I came from Web two. I've been doing that for decades. Like so, so now to make that transition and to see like, oh, I can be up and running with my project so much faster because you've taken that that big lift away from me, but I can still build. I'm not constrained to everything that you're doing. Is really interesting. I think as a more of a as a business proposition long term than just obviously a marketplace. And I assume that's what the goal has always been. Uh, the goal is we built the marketplace so we know how to that we're that we're building the right thing for the developers. So yeah. we've built the auctions and all these different things, knowing that we've built like the raw basics, uh, knowing that other people can go, okay, they can figure that out. So yeah, the main theory is you would go, you can switch from mainnet to testnet. Uh, I think the easiest process would be switch to testnet, create a testnet account. It boots you up with 200 fake near tokens, deploy a store via the UI. Now you have a contract that you can go into, you know, the near Explorer or near blocks and go check out what's happening in there. And we try and expose every transaction hash we can because almost every movement is a transaction on our system. And to me, it's super important. Everyone talks about, hey, we need to remove the blockchain from the user experience. And to me, I'm the other way around where it's like, we have to educate the user on how important it is that, you know, these transaction hashes exist and that, you, and then people go way to the other way where they're like, well, let's go full custodial. Let's hide everything. We can, you know, we will, we'll take care of their keys. And so <laughs> I went way off left field on that one, but yeah. Yeah. To me though, like, I, I think that approach feels right because what's happening right now is that, you do have these, I guess, extremes, right? Like there's nobody who is trying to thread it down the middle in the sense of where I, I want to be able to have some control, but at the same time, you can't really give me all of the control because I don't know what I'm doing for the average user. And so the more you can put that out front, it sounds like in the way that you're trying to approach it through an educational standpoint is that you're giving the opportunity to give to understand what Web3 and the blockchain really is, as well as we're going to give you some guardrails, right? Is that kind of where you're going? Yeah, you don't need to go full Rust, uh, but if you know GraphQL, then you can hop in there, use Apollo, you know, do a linkage thing. I don't know if you went in and, and actually went into graphical and put in the, uh, the 
uh, one of the endpoints and saw all that giant list of all that's our entire system is that. So anything yeah. that we do on Mintbase is in there. It's the, can I get all the royalties from this offer uh, that was, you know, sent on whatever, can I burn, can I deploy a store, what store, what, what things are on the store? Like all of that is, is very easily to, uh, to dive into. I'm going to just kind of try to still like wrap my brain around it. Like Joe's much more dev centric and he he gets this kind of stuff. So for someone like me, like I I think like for like a marketing approach of this, who is your target right now? Currently the target user for you. Target user is definitely like the mint ticket and the uh, gorilla shops and in those different groups. We've dove into enterprise for a bit and they'll, you'll just end up, going down this hardcore rabbit hole of having them build everything custom for them. And it's, yeah. it's a, a large painful process that a team of, you know, six engineers can't really go all in. Uh, but we think the new wave of entrepreneurs, the people are, you know, understand web two pretty heavily. Those are the folks that we're, we're more after. So we'll be definitely diving into a lot of the rust meetup groups, uh, GraphQL meetup groups, uh, the, hackathons that the near hacker houses and all those different groups uh that's yeah the engineer-minded world i think is is our focus we also got our uh, five million dollar grants that we're going to be deploying soon and that's going to be yeah largely focused on the engineers and so some right. of the uh core requirements is that a developer is on the technical team so can we go back a little bit and so uh you know, near is still in its infancy, you know, uh, I mean, the whole space obviously is, but near, especially you guys were there from the beginning. What led you to actually coming on to near? Yeah. So, uh, I have only made three moves in my cryptocurrency career. So since 2014 is when I bought my first Bitcoin when it was at 800 and then it went down to 200, I doubled down. And then when it shot up, I put all my savings into ETH when it was like, $1.14 because I was like, yeah, I'm tired of like Bitcoins, like scrappy yelling about uh, about scaling. And then, you know, can we increase the block size? And it just got nasty. And then Ethereum was this beautiful new world where like it was happy. You know, you had Vitalik running around and, you know, dinosaur laser eye pants. And it was a, it was a good, yeah. happy group of people that wanted to change the world. So, uh, yeah. but as a developer since 2007, I, I've seen everything. Like I've started well, everything, starting from ActionScript 2 and Flash, then ActionScript 3, then PHP, then Node, and then getting into Angular, then React, and then <laughs> seeing that whole process, like you just know like what's next. Like you have a yeah. gut feeling that like community is swarming, the technology is like 10 times better. Uh, this is going to go this direction. And if you understand like decentralization and if it's really important to you, then you start going down different holes. So if I think we're on our third wave of evolution of blockchains, we had uh, Bitcoin, everybody then copied it. Uh, then you have Litecoin and, and all those bits. Then we have the second evolution, which is Ethereum. Everybody copied it. Now we have uh, Avalanche and XDAI and all these other groups. Yeah. This third evolution is definitely the, the WASM. It's the Polkadots, the uh, Solanas and the in the nears. But um, coming back to your question, so how we actually like found near was, I think in 2019, the Ethereum gas fees were so high. And mm. what we wanted to do is like, uh, for example, ticketing for NFT New York City, what we actually did, but it was really painful because it was just so expensive. And we're like, oh my God, we cannot use the technology because it's just too much. And then 
you were looking around, right? And you just yeah, we were like around. minting the tickets with people at DapCon and NFT NYC. We did for them, and as they were like minting and doing this, and they were like telling me like, "Are you serious? It's cost this much to mint the tickets?" Like, and my brain is just like, "Oh, don't worry, it's all good." My insides are like. This is not gonna work. We were in Berlin. We had a mental breakdown. Nate had a mental breakdown. Was like, yeah, yeah. Basically, we can't use this mint base anymore on Ethereum. It's how just do, not usable how do we anymore. Do this? Oh. Yeah, we stopped in 2020 in August. Uh, we talked to Sasha. He, he convinced us to move on over, and then. And then began the brutal rewrite of every line of code. And so B were pretty much heads down during the entire hype, hype cycle. So we were mm -hmm. working with the near standards and pushing them uh, to, to get stuff going. It was a new chain we didn't understand. So Eugene and Mike Purvis were trying to communicate to us how the, all that stuff worked. And Yeah, no, infrastructure was there. So basically uh, everything had to be built from scratch. And it was just Nate and two other developers <laughs> back then. So they built the infrastructure. Uh which is like the base. Jeez. Yeah, the graph. So on Ethereum, we've been, yeah, so we were, built our first system on Ethereum in 2018 and then, yeah, moved on 2020 and I leveraged the graph pretty good, right, on Ethereum. Didn't exist mm -hmm. on here. So I'm like, all right, we're committed now. How, how do I deal with uh, data availability? Yeah. And that's that's when we went down that brutal, 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 brutal path of, of running our own indexer, which is now actually the best thing we've probably got for ourselves. Is there a way to like maybe take a project and kind of run it through a little bit of the steps with you guys on how we would maybe use MintBase? Is that something that you guys have like been thinking about? Because I'm still like, I, my goal is at the end of talking with you guys to be like, okay, ready layer one, here's how we could use MintBase to help further our business. And I can now start finding sort of the the game, we could game theory it you know, together, sort of like yeah. find a logic thread through it. So uh, do you guys have like a, already as a company, have you guys already created an example to be able to talk people through with how to run through it yeah uh, my favorite example is um actually the festival wilde Möhre, like a german festival from last year so for example you're a festival and at the moment you only have a few options if you want to do ticketing you have event right you have ticket master all those like massive corporations so um you need to um have them as like a custodial so a festival comes to us and says okay i want to sell tickets so um, they don't need to talk to us they just deploy their own store which is their own smart contract and they mint they create the tickets on that smart contract and mm -hmm. okay real quick I'm, I'm and i'm gonna kind of stop through this as i find a moment that i'm like okay let's kind of iron that out so okay the the festival the german festival is like okay we, we launch a store so they get the 3d store they've got the marketplace uh you know the virtual they've got the virtual cube space and all that they might not use it but they have it so then do they create then an NFT that's a ticket? So like uh, NearCon is another good example of when we're going to be firing that up. So let's use NearCon. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys figured out like the, like why tickets would be even interesting in NFTs versus normal land or should I process that? Uh, Joe actually was talking about this stuff a while ago, the ticketing aspect. Yeah. No, I, I think it's fascinating, but yeah, please. I mean, I think. Yeah. Just an asset that I own. Like yeah. I don't have to get yeah. Eventbrite's permission or StubHub's permission to like move it around, send it to a friend. You know, I could build a market overnight that I can trade it. Uh, we can fork, you know, maybe MintBase later and then build like a niche market that, so it's just, uh, it's that, it's, it's that, that movable bits, but uh, another example too. So we just had our retreat this week. Uh, where we did an internal hackathon with all the employees and everyone kind of came up with their own use cases. Uh, one of them was, uh, was Minsta, where it was kind of like Instagram, but minting. So the person who mints 
the moment because uh, this thing, well, as soon as you mint, the transaction happens on near, and then all the files get uploaded to Arweave, and no one can change anything. So that's that's what we do. Uh, but as soon as you take the photo, um, it actually transfers it to the previous person who uh, took the picture of the last person. So you're just constantly no, uh, taking a picture, and then everyone gets to earn but the next token. Maybe let's walk through the ticketing as example. So um, why, um, like for example, it's also important is that um, as a festival organizer or Nearcon, they can um, split the revenue of the ticket amongst like 25 other people. So for example, you have the vendors, you have, mm, okay. or, I don't know, um, maybe a DJ who's performing. So you can put those people in the split revenues and then you have um, okay. stakeholders yep. uh, in the event and they are from a marketing perspective pushing your event, right? So it's like a completely new paradigm. So there might be a, one day a way to create a event without paying anyone up front. The landlords who own the space yeah. uh, can be, you know, three percent stake in the in the tickets. The right. uh, the food vendors, the speakers, the even down to like press people. Like, hey, do you guys want to like put out press? The better press you do, the more funds you'll get. Uh, and then off you go. <laughs> That's okay. So I'm starting to get this. I'm definitely seeing that the ticketing aspect makes a lot of sense, right? Like, cause then you can just see how that can explore, especially even like virtual, like say Joe and I ready layer one was going to put on a virtual gaming event. We could use mint base to create the ticket to get into the virtual gaming event if we wanted. And then however, if sponsors or however it all flowed together, we could present, present that out. Even if we wanted to make money with it or not, it could be other things too. Right. Yeah, like it depends on what the virtual events like hosted on. If you're, what are you, are you guys using your own Zencast? I've never used it. Would, it, would the event? No, Zen, no, no, no. Zencast. We do like a Twitch or something. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like how to like. Uh, uh, have any friends at Twitch? Like hook us up and we'll get them to NPM installment yeah. base and, you know, do a hide unlockable, uh, unlockable files. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's that. See, that's the kind of stuff that I think makes in, NFTs really, really interesting. Right. Uh, like, it's like enough of these trading PFPs and everything. Yeah, I'm tired of Ponzi's. Like, <laughs> I'm tired of them. I feel like I'm the only one. Like I just, I, I, I old man get off my lawn and then I'm people, an old man. People <laughs> follow me and then, uh, it's very sad, but I've been yeah. ranting on them lately and I don't think I'm making friends. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, Joe, you were just saying like, cause this is like, this is where NFTs can go. Like we're talking real world application with like Nearcon, Coachella, big music festivals. You could say, all right, we've got your ticket. And then everybody, you can parse out the revenue from that ticket to people without having, it's like decentralized. Like no one has to like approve it. It's like, it happens. Right. To the bands, everything else. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about like, I, even just on one of our recaps recently on our episode, we talked about the idea that NFTs become like your fan club pass as well. Yeah. So I buy a concert ticket and now that's part of me being is like the fan club, you know, in the sense where, cause now they can know that my wallet has bought that ticket. Right. And all of that stuff, they want to airdrop something to me, things like that. Now it just, it changes the entire dynamic. Because I think back, like, you know, growing up, you know, in the, you know, 90s, early 2000s of like, you'd sign up for a band's fan club. And yeah, like they send you like some merch and things like that. But there was no great way of verifying who you are once you showed up to the event. This, I feel like, adds that and it's direct. There's no other, there's no middleman in there. And this is where I see PFPs actually becoming interesting. And so I have, I have no problem with PFPs. We're actually building interesting like games, uh, like they had... Uh, like cut cut in the line or come to this party if you're like a specific member to go do this. Like mm -hmm. once these sort of use cases of okay, here's your PFP to become a, my 
part of my fan club and then we have the tooling to actually redeem them or, or trade them in or do other things i think we're more focused on like the utility part of how do we make these things useful and it hmm. and that's where i'm i'm having issues with with the, the pfp lands because we haven't really bridged that quite yet but there's like an asym like an asymmetry of value right like the most valuable thing is a user but users can't get paid for their value right like imagine like for a broad example web 2 facebook if they had a, uh, an nft you could say okay you can have all thousand track points you have on me but you give me some of that money back that you're flipping off of me right like that's what web 2 runs off of ads um in web 3 with nfts people can now get some of that value from whatever they decide so yeah, to, to me, it's it's that's interesting, but it's going back to the creator bit of where the value and the power comes from. Okay, let's let's look at like what a creator is. It's it's not just an artist. It goes deeper. Yeah. It would be pizza. Pizza. I I'm a creator. I created a pizza. Uh, I own my pizza. And right now in Uber Eats land, like Uber Eats pretty much owns my pizza and maybe like mm -hmm. two other apps, but. Think of this world where I can like put a pizza out there and then all these different apps can just gang up on my pizza and go, hey, I want to sell your pizza. No, I'm going to sell your pizza. And all these people like sell your pizza in so many different ways, like in virtual reality. Maybe I go into a Berlin uh, shop and I see all the different pizzas like in my spot, like to me. And then whoever buys it, they get the market and then uh, the piece comes comes to me. So that's where, where I'm getting more excited about in the I'm the creator. Uh, yeah, but. Hmm. Yeah. And I think the important thing, so conferences, I, I, I get it. And those are larger, that takes more people together, right? Is there like an example of like the singular creator, like YouTube allowed a single person with a camera to get an audience and monetize and do something. Instagram sort of social. Does Mintbase have sort of like a use case where it's like a singular person who wants to launch a Mintbase store and grow an audience and do the NFTs and kind of maybe get some sort of passive income that way? Is there any sort of like setup that you guys are thinking in that route? We've got 1,206 stores, I think, deployed today. Uh, mm -hmm. And we're just snow punching away at trying to figure out how these things can be useful. So uh, mm -hmm. have we uh, found our complete product market fit? No. Uh, have we found someone who's making a ton of money off of this uh, via getting real value? I, I don't, I don't really think so. Not yet, but we're, all we're basically being swarmed by a bunch of people uh, from the early days who are still with us from the ETH days, all knowing that we're building something big and we're all experimenting, doing the weirdest things, you know, and trying and trying something else. And we're that's who our group is. We all know it's going to be big. We just haven't figured out what it hmm. is. Yet. And, and I'm not going to lie and say, yes, we've solved it. You know, when someone buys someone's uh, uh, sound NFT, you know, I, I don't mentally understand the process yet. So it's, it's just, it's more of uh, the, the experimenters messing with the stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you. I, I haven't found that. I obviously haven't cracked that code either. I'm just like really exploring it. And that's the part of the podcast is like, how do we find that answer well, with the, with experimenting with the technology? So like Nearcon doing ticketing on our system, we want to like pull in as many companies as we can to kind of explore what can we do with this? So we did a uh, ticketing for, uh, DAPCON back in the day and coder Dan, who actually, before he built Avagachi, which is blown up, he actually, uh, came into our hackathon and he built a quick voting app for DAPCON to vote on which speakers should be the speaker, right? You had Vitalik, you had all these people. And if you were the, a, a ticket holder, you were only allowed to like vote on 
uh, which speaker should get it. It's quadratic voting, mm. and then you get you know a certain amount of votes to do this, that, and the other. So to me, that's that's like the killer stuff is like just starting to do like have something that actually has real value at the beginning, which is a ticket to get into that uh, near con. Uh, and then seeing how, what kind of branches from that asset after that. And, uh, that, that's, that's where we're at. When I think of the ticketing aspect and the group aspect, I think of it, it goes everywhere from like conferences to musicians, to art galleries, to, to so much stuff. Um, even like pop-ups, you know I mean? Like in new, I live in New York and there's always like pop-up galleries and things like that. I, I could totally see this. And then when you have the near integration with the wallet, have you found that it, it's pretty smooth when like someone does mint with the ticket and then they have to like, however it goes with the QR yeah, code? We, know, we need to uh, import sender. So the big part of Web3 is multiple different wallets. Uh, as many wallets as possible, we should be integrating. Uh, but mm -hmm. we're not even using one of the most robust things that uh, near has, which is the allowance mechanism. Uh, so being able to like... Uh, uh, transfer or burn an NFT without having to go back and forth to do a confirmation or being able to, you know, buy NFTs with certain spends without having to go back and forth. Uh, that's, I think that's when it's going to get uh, much more interesting. I mean, has that been one of the main attractions too of staying on near and continuing to build is that as a technology platform, they seem to really be thinking the future, you know, and they're really trying to see how they can actually make real world examples and not just about, being another blockchain? Yeah, I, I think Nier is definitely doing a good job of, of focusing on the people building on it and trying to figure this thing out in a real way. When you uh, went for the Series A, what were some of the things that you highlighted in trying to, you know, raise that amount of money? I, you know, I understand some of this stuff is like we're trying to experiment and trying to learn. Did you provide some concrete cases of where you think this can be in a year? Yeah, definitely. The Series A was brutal. It was uh, even during the, the main bull market, it was still brutal because there's yeah. just so much hype, so much attention, so much of this, that and the other. Uh, our main pitch is that we aren't here for now and we don't think that this is a one winner takes all. So a lot of VCs, they didn't like us because it was we weren't like the number one, this or that or the highest transaction or anything. The, sure. My big pitch is we're and VCs hate this, we're slow and steady wins the race. Like we, like when the yeah. internet boomed and did its like crazy thing and crash. I mean, if you survive that crazy bear market during the early days of the internet, like there's a gazillion ways you could build massive businesses. You just have to, Absolutely. you know, focus on the technology because in the early days, it's really effing complicated. And yeah. there's the infrastructure is not there. You have to be highly technical and you have to survive. Uh, and we're in the same spot. Our pitch is basically, we know what we're doing, where we can react very quickly and diligently, and we're, we're going to go. And we're already starting to see huge companies starting to buy the companies that might, you know, known origin just got gobbled up by uh, eBay. And we've got, yeah, it's, a, it's just a fascinating world. So the, the big pitch to the VCs is we know what we're doing. We have the experience. We have the team. We have mm -hmm. the technical foundations. Uh, now we have to do, hopefully, the easier part, which is the articulation of of, uh, of all the complexities that we've done. You do a lot of the dev aspects, right? Like you're very into that world coding and all that. And Carolyn, what is your sort of focus? And uh, maybe we could discuss that a little bit as well. Yeah, so uh, my focus is anything but coding. So really everything like marketing, VD, partnership. Um, like we are in Portugal, so I'm managing like uh, all of the employees, like the payroll, 
uh, taxes, legal things. So, yeah. And um, right now we brought on a new COO. I used to be the COO, but um, since I got a baby in uh, January, um, I transitioned to chief of staff. Uh, yeah, I we this can, company would not exist if it weren't for her. And it was basically her and I for two full years in Berlin by ourselves. I, I think it took us, I don't know, a crazy amount of months to raise our seed. Like 18 months or something. It like, was, yeah. it was yes. bananas. Uh, yeah. But we were, uh, yeah. And so basically anything that wasn't coding was her. And you, if you guys know of building a company, you know, it's not all coding. It's <laughs> right. all the other crazy Things and that... our new CEO, by the way, is also in New York. Um, his name is Paul, uh, Paul Kubek. I don't know how to yep. pronounce his surname, but he's amazing. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And so, uh, Carolyn, in your uh, experience, what have you found to be some of the hardest things about starting a company that is crypto-based in an industry that I imagine most people, you're explaining the industry to them while trying to also get funding or whatever. What have you found to be some of the more challenging moments? Yeah, definitely. When we started in 2018, no one knew what NFTs were and no one believed us. Like I tried to explain my parents like, yeah, we're doing this NFT business. And they're like, what? NF what? And what is this? I don't understand. And it was like, oh, my God, like I think they still don't understand. But the articulation gets easier now because more people get into NFTs. Like I can see now the mainstream stream media like, um, you know, reporting about NFTs and we can really see that people want to understand the technology. So the hardest thing was just to be taken seriously at the beginning with the technology and with like building and that it was like a serious project. And um, I think, yeah, everything around building a business is super hard, like incorporation in a foreign company like Nate and I, we're not Portuguese. We live in Portugal. So like the language, the incorporation and just every every aspect um, yeah, but obviously also, um, yeah, just the conversation with you as well. You're just asking all those questions like, okay, so let's take an example. Like, um, you know, how could I explain MintBase? And it's just really difficult because it doesn't exist yet in the Web 2, in the Web 2.0 world, everything's so clear. But in this world, like, we don't really know where it's going to um, lead to. What's the explain like I'm five version to somebody who's new but might still want to get into the space? Sure. The current financial uh, world is built on top of uh, garbage and very, very horrible tooling. And this one is a complete rewrite. And any entrepreneur can talk directly to a settlement layer rather than uh, outdated third-party companies. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to a little bit what I was saying earlier of, you know, again, like that's not my skill set yet, right? Like I know some rust, I am not an expert smart contract writer, right? Like I'm not, I'm not at that level yet. I wouldn't be comfortable deploying my own. So yes, I could build everything up to a point. And now then to leverage, you know, these open APIs to have the smart contract coming from Mintbase, where I'm not worried about the security, I'm not worried about making mistakes so much. You know, that is a, a huge benefit because also, too, now think about it. It's just me and you, Jared. Right. So and I'm the sole developer here. So it's like I, I don't have to go hire somebody. right? I don't have to go. It saves money. It saves time, you know, and it gets us, you know, from A to B a lot faster. And uh, yeah, because. To that note, the security level. So a big difference between us and any other and working on like a shared contract 
like, I don't know, Rarible or OpenSea or any of those groups, it's, you're just basically minting on one shared contract. That contract has is owned by that party. So every one of our stores is their own contract and they have their own uh, keys associated to them. So right now we've been very open about it. Mintbase actually owns all of the, uh, all of the keys for all of the contracts currently. Uh, but eventually once uh, the NEP171 is like completely solid and Mintbase is done uh, changing the contracts and because we're constantly having to find like sure. little updates because uh, probably once every two months you'll see updates of all the contracts. Uh, then eventually we'll move to how Astro just moved where basically it says, well, you can allow us to upgrade for you or you can lock your uh, contract and only allow yourself to do the upgrades. To me, this is the big, like crazy powerful thing of near is the yeah. key access management. So if we decide one day, like, okay, it's time to remove Mintbase's control, which is what we absolutely want to and need to do probably uh, within this year or early next year, uh, then we can do that. And then anybody can go into uh, the shell and go, who has the keys? Uh, it's you or, or completely not us. So, uh, and that's when you're going to start seeing big companies like Oracle using the system yep. because they, if they own their own keys, then they know that that contract cannot change unless they are the ones that, that do it, not us, the third party. Yeah, no, that, that, that's super powerful. I mean, that that's the, the kind of stuff that we've talked about with other developers in the past, not even just on the show, just on the side, even of just, you know, when you use some of these other services, being stuck, you know, I don't say stuck in someone else's contract really can stutter growth down the road where when you're ready to do something new with, you know, you're already minted NFTs in that part of that project, but now you can't you know, that becomes the whole thing. And that's what you're seeing people like remint and all the other things. And it's like, that's not a great way to go where it sounds like, again, because of you're really leveraging what Nier provides that that won't be such a thing to have to worry about. Yeah. And that's where like uh, gorilla shops, I think they're, they're getting prettier by the day, but it's still kind of rough. But the, uh, the, the, their idea and their concept and their understanding of what we're building is so spot on for what we want, which is okay this contract is basically a building block and we know that that building block isn't going to change eventually when we remove our keys and then they're building stores off of every single uh a better visual interface on their own off of every one of the stores because they know that that's a building block that will not change completely mm -hmm. different than shopify because at the end of the day if shopify decides to close down all the things i mean it's really not right. out of the realm to do that Right. And when you say stores, what kind of stores are they building? Like any type of store or like? Store is a, is a contract. So right now we have 1,206 deployed. So when you go into Mintbase, you go uh, deploy store, new store, and it goes to the wallet. And then you put in 6.5 near, and that's you basically reserving stuff into the chain. That deploys your own contract. And your contract, you can think of it as just an API that lives on the blockchain and not on our servers or on your servers. So and then now that we have an API that lives on the blockchain, everyone can kind of start using that API uh, directly, uh, but it's cumbersome and a pain in the ass. So if you don't want to use that, then you use Mintbase's uh, API to help help uh, alleviate the process. You're coming from, you know, you came from Ethereum first, you know, and obviously building on that. Is there a plan to move to Aurora as well and build on top of that? Well, I think this is why most of Nier doesn't like me. I've been very open about uh 
not, I just look at, like I said, I've gone through the evolution of programming languages for since 2007. So once I've made the jump, I never go back because you're, you're, you just go, that's inefficient and your insights are yeah. just like, you move forward. You only look forward. Like I'm a big fan of like, just tear it all down and start, you know, do something new. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going backwards to me, I, I look at anything in EVM land, just like any developer looks at PHP. It's just, it's there, it exists. It's going to be there forever. It's legacy, but can we just move forward? Here's this new powerful tool and we only have so much mental resources. Can we just focus on this crazy thing? So I was very like uh, grumpy about it, the EVM being on Aurora as a big marketing ploy. But then I kind of, I've come around to it realizing like, it's pretty effing cool that they're able to take an EVM and compile it to Wasm. So even though yeah. I don't think we're going to mess around with it too much, it's it's uh, a fascinating engineering feat that they've been able to do it. And yes, it's a great uh, movement for other EVM folks to, to push on there. But uh, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. I mean... So then how do you start to convince some of those people, just not necessarily as Mimpace, but just as, you know, someone's part of the community, you know, how do you start to tell those people who are saying, oh, I'm just going to stay with the EVM and come over to Aurora, that really that it's worth actually moving to full on the near virtual machine? I don't, yeah, I, I think some people are going to be ether die forever. Uh, I think you just start talking to the Rust communities because people love Rust. It's like the most loved language five years in a row. And you say, hey guys, yeah. and there's a whole new world. Of, and we saw it in Solana. They found those people and they just, you know, it exploded. So uh, I, I would say, you know, you guys do your EVM thing, you know, and, and you know, two years later, they'll kind of go, oh, wait, I guess we should finally start moving over because. Yeah. Or not. Maybe their, their apps will just run forever down there. Because, I, I, you know, right now we're in a pullback, whatever, another bear market. They come and go. But, like, a lot of stuff's building. And then you've got this whole game. Of, like, you you know, we've been meeting with some gaming that's starting to about to release on Nier. Are you guys going to have any stuff to work with GameFi? I, I don't even want to call it GameFi because just gaming in general. Yeah, we need to start reaching out more. To I think we've been so, like, heads down, focused, tunnel vision on getting to where we're at now. And now we need to start going out into the near community and, and definitely getting all the folks uh, excited about all the stuff. Like uh, Pixel Pets and Pixel Party and Pixel Bits. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's fun messing around with that stuff. I've never been a heavy gamer myself. Uh, it's uh, I mean, I got sucked yeah. into Call of Duty once and Halo back in the day and realized how much time I wasted in some <laughs> same ones those two put me down like, and then really golden eye if you want to go back to my high school years have you seen amber amber is is one that has the the actual human you know that's moving around and that's your your player is an nft so that's an nft on mint base that they actually have as a first person shooter that you can go run around and actually see giant misfits heads like popping around so really okay yeah. that's really cool is there anything you guys want to to like explain at this point or just share or like clarify as a mint base or like I think we are here for the experimenters and we want to um yeah find this group of people who want to innovate with us because we believe that the future of NFTs is not one massive marketplace but it's going to be the niche marketplace is focused on different use cases and we want to be the ones empowering those new businesses yeah, I, I just want to show off how many things you can do with a single asset in the weirdest way possible in so many different locations. Like, I just want to enter a room and just see one asset and then like 50 different applications showing that asset in 50 different, completely different ways and different mediums. 
uh, and you can buy it in all these different mediums and, and ways. So that's that's what we're looking for. Build, 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 build. Don't biddle yeah. though. That word drives me nuts. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Have you? I'm sure you have. Have you talked to Matt Lockyer? Yeah, yeah, Matt. We, we've got a. a a loving relationship. <laughs> you and him have a similar, like, I feel like you're both like time travelers. You're like living like six months to a year in the future. He's the one that brought me over. Actually. He was the one random Ethereum guy who like moved to near. And then I got kind of interested and actually I watched ready layer one, the conference, the conference yeah. you guys. Uh, and right. then after watching all of those, yeah. uh, then all of the Ethereum people got in a panic. We're all going, Oh crap, what do we do? So we went and created a discord. Where everyone's basically okay. Do we go to Solana? Do we go to XDI? Everyone's just kind of like picked the lane. We were the only ones that went near. They didn't pull too many uh, ETH folks, but yeah. Uh, and I actually just went into that Discord last week, and then I wrote. It's been like a year since anyone wrote in it because everyone went their ways. And I was like, "All right, who's happy with their chains?" <laughs> so we replied. <laughs> I get a lot of conversations, you know, about you know starting a business in Web three, and especially with the idea of you know, one, managing maybe remote, but two, you know, how do you start to actually open a business in Web3, whether it's in a different country or else? I know like Portugal is very crypto nice. And so there's things that are around there. How did you find that process, starting the business and then actually opening up in a country that neither of you are from, you know, like how, like, or what, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to start that? During COVID. <laughs> During COVID, so yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we're actually a US company, so we went with a US route because Nate had several companies before, so he knew how to incorporate a company. But the <laughs> Portuguese one is um, like a subsidiary where we most of our employees work out of. But um, yeah, advice I would give is to just Lisbon Tech Guides. They help oh, us a yeah, ton. you're right. Uh, Sep and Katana. Um, so basically, um, when we moved to Lisbon, we had this one group, Lisbon Tech Guide, and um, they are super great Portuguese entrepreneurs, and they helped us um, setting everything up and uh, incorporating the company, and um, yeah, just have been with us um, since the beginning. So finding the right partner. Um, you don't have to do everything by yourself, um, especially when you're in a foreign country and you don't speak the language. So just finding the right partner who you can trust and having a good partnership where both parties benefit. And um, yeah. And a personal assistant who speaks the language if you don't. Oh, yeah. Luis uh, Infante, who really helped us navigate all the bits. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask that. I mean, that must really have been a, a large challenge. I mean, one, to move, right, period, is always a pain, right? And then to move to a country where you don't speak the language, but you're also trying to start a business. Mm. Uh, I was going to add if you had somebody who was like kind of your your guide through yeah. that. Yeah, and also the most complicated thing is um, accounting, I think, because we have mm. a US company and then we are in Europe. But then apart from those two currencies, we have different cryptocurrencies we're dealing with. So that's really uh, difficult, but it gets easier by the day. So we are like, they are like request network or crypto, crypto or yep. those uh, platforms that can make accounting easier. But we didn't move here with much. We had our yeah. little Honda, what was it? Honda. Yeah, we bought a car. So uh, for 4,000 euros <laughs> in Berlin and it was a Honda i20 from 2014. And we drove from Berlin to Lisbon because it was just our dream. Like to live yeah. basically everything we own yeah. fit in that car. And then we had to hire a very small van to do some small bits, but yeah, like five 
things. Yeah, I was a yeah, little adventure. Awesome. Oh, that's a great story. I love that. Yeah, me too. That's gonna be the opening of this podcast, just you two tell because <laughs> I love that story. But um, that's cool. So, uh, and the final sort of like takeaway from this is like in. I mean, it's hard to, but you guys are thinking in the future. So this is kind of a good question. Like in, in one year to three years, what's sort of your ideal at this moment vision of that? What will, what will, what would you love to see? The technology being used in normal daily use cases, like um, everything on the web that we have right now, like what we consume, media, films, um, tickets, whatever should all be an NFT or at least an NFT to access um, certain yeah. websites. And we are not NFT based. We are mint based. So we might yep. not be mint NFTs forever. There's there's a nice fungible world, you know, right around the corner. So yeah, <laughs> I really appreciate you guys taking the time today. Uh, this was an awesome conversation and hopefully we can catch up uh, in Portugal in September. So yeah, Absolutely. we should mint this podcast if it's possible. If it's less than, I think, 30 megs is our uh, is our yeah. largest size. So we can... we'll do something for sure. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. Ready Layer One is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. You should not make any decision, financial investment, trading, or otherwise based on any of the information presented in this podcast without undertaking independent due diligence and consultant and consultation with a professional broker or financial advisory. 